And welcome back. We're with the demonologist, Nathaniel Gillis. Nathaniel, did you have a difficult or easy time trying to determine the difference between these dibics and demons? Uh, it was difficult at first. Again, I was intellectually trapped within the blueprint I inherited from my belief system. But once, uh, once I outgrew that and I grew into the data and out of the dogma, it, was very, it wasn't as hard. I mean, again, if we strip them from the titles, and uh, you know, we look at them for what they're doing. These are very much the same beings. They employ uh, very much the same technologies. I, you know, I mean, I, it's so interesting. Early on in my research, I got a hold of one of my favorite researchers in the world, and I asked him. I said, in, in working with experiencers of UFO abduction, you ever come across people who had? It seemed like a, a stupid question. Now it does, but back then it was irrelevant. I asked him. I said, okay, uh, you ever had people? Uh, who claimed to have been visited by entities and, and they had like biological substances left on their bodies and and they said he said absolutely one hundred percent and again, what we 've done though, and i don 't know why, uh, but what we 've done is we 've placed debug victims on one side of the table and then experiencers on the other, not realizing that if we take off the mask, we have a lot more case studies to involve into our research that's outside of what we're, you know, allowed to talk about or allowed to, you know, discuss in, in modernity. Uh, but it's the same phenomenon. And uh, I think that's what disturbs me more than anything is, okay, are we being manipulated as a species? And, and, I, and that's what's really captivated my attention as of late. Now, in these situations, what are you more concerned about, the demons or the dibics? All of the above, all of the above. Uh, see, again, there's a power structure that Jacques Vallée and other researchers, even Dr. Kohler Turner, uh, which is one of my heroes in the field, uh, they all talk about this control mechanism the phenomenon employs in their its victims. And it's very true, very true. I mean, even with the Dibouk phenomenon, uh, there, there was one case where a woman who had never been to Paris before uh, vividly remembers being there and eating uh, some bread and, and, and drinking the wine and enjoying the, the culinary delights, and yet she's never been there. And so what we're looking at, again, we would consider that to be a screen memory. We just called it a different, something completely different. So there's a control mechanism where, uh, especially with these women and the debut phenomenon, where they didn't want these women to realize what happened to them. All right, let's go to the calls. Let's go to wild card and get us started. Jim in New York. Hey, Jimmy, go ahead. Uh, okay, I'd like to ask the guest, is there any specific defenses we could do against these weird creatures you're speaking about um, that you, I think they're called deb, debdicks? How do you spell, can you tell me how to spell it? D-Y-B-B-U-K. D Y B D U K B B is in boy B U K D Y double B U K. I got it. So that's my question. I mean, I know how to defend against demons that are regular demons. I've beaten them. I've gotten them away from me. But what do you do for these weird creatures? Do you have any answers? Good question. Right. We're. I'll tell you what. This research is still pretty young. Uh, but what I've found is obviously employ your, your uh, religious amulets. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Uh, but the data highly suggests that iron works for some reason. 
uh, like I was saying before, uh, you know, in some of these case studies, especially in Eastern Mediterranean literature, uh, women who were pregnant, they would have these beings that would descend down. We would call them Lamashtu. And uh, they would descend down, stare into the eyes. And then when the woman woke up in the middle of the night, that baby's gone. And it's, it was the missing fetus syndrome uh, in biblical antiquity. But one of the things they employed was iron, and it seemed to work. And one of the things they did with that iron is they created a second face so as to where that entity would descend down and stare into the eyes. Their hope was that it would stare into the eyes of the wrong face, thereby the fetus remains positioned in the womb. But uh, it's not just myself. There are other researchers, uh, Dr. Barry Fitzgerald, uh, Steve Mara, myself, Paul Sinclair, others who uh, also recommend iron. For some reason, there is an abhorrence of it. Next up, we've got Toby in Idaho, west of the Rockies. Hello, Toby. Yeah, how are you guys doing tonight? Good, sir. Thank you. Good. I had a question. Well, I had an experience when I was a kid, about eight, between eight and nine years old as well, and it was in a Pentecostal church uh, somewhere in California by Visalia. I can't remember exactly where. But anyway, uh, I remember going to a church in, a, in the evening service, and the people in the front, the preacher was like, you know, saying something and putting his hand on him. And all of a sudden, the person in the front row turned around and looked right at me. He had horns sticking out of his head. And he looked right in my eyes and hissed. And my aunt jumped up next to me and started speaking, telling me, blah, 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 blah. And my mom grabbed me and used me up and took me outside. And I always wondered what the hell that was about. Speaking in foreign tongue, Nathaniel, have you come across that? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a technical term for it. Uh, but I, especially in Pentecostalism, I noticed that and a host of other manifestations that were puzzling. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in something very similar. I think there is a, a profound contrast between being possessed by a malevolent entity and uh, with what some of their practices include. But, I mean, did you say that he head-butted you? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's, that's strange, my friend. <laughs> I wouldn't know about that. Yeah. It's a dangerous job you have, Nathaniel. That's threatening, and uh, I'll be the first to tell you, George. Like I said before, there have been times where I've read, literally, been so dark in 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 this uh, this research where not myself personally being dark, but the work, or I just shut everything down. I'll call my friends in Rhode Island and say, you know what, I'm going to Federal Hill. I'm feasting on nothing but authentic Italian food, and I need to disconnect. Um, you know, I mean, when you're getting phone calls in the morning, two in the morning, and my, my number's not publicly listed anyways, but I'm getting phone calls from people threatening me because of uh, some of the things that I've been exposing. But again, that it's a reference to the control system, the phenomenon employs when it feels threatened. You have uh, called yourself a religious demonologist. Tell me about that title. Well, it's a working title because it's a working hypothesis. I don't personally know what these beings are, right? I'm, I'm in the same field as everybody else. We're all still uh, even lacking the vocabulary to understand what this is. Um, but that was, um, and again, I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to say that I will always be a religious demonologist. Um, it's just that that is what I'm known the most uh, by as a demonologist. Uh, but I think again that uh, if this is in fact a unique intelligence that. Uh, that evolves according to our awareness of it, then uh, not only are these not demons, but uh, the possibility is they're, they're not extraterrestrial either. They're, there's something else out there uh, that is manipulating 
both fields of research against themselves. Let's go to Omaha, Nebraska. First-time caller, Lori's with us. Hello, Lori. Good morning. Hello. How are you? Okay. Good. Um, my daughter has been having these episodes. Um, we've taken her to an oral. Like, you know, they're, they're saying it's a seizure, but it doesn't look like a seizure. Um, for example, I was riding in the car with her one day. We were having fun, getting ready for her wedding, and um, we started to get something to eat, and she said she had to go to the bathroom, so she bent over, grabbed her purse, sat up, and then she whipped her head at me mm-hmm. and leaned forward, and she whispered, don't tell anyone or I'll be in trouble. And then she whipped her head back, looking straight ahead, and then she started looking at her body, like looking at her arms and her, her hands and her legs, and mm-hmm. like she's never seen this before in her life. And then she, she even said, where am I? Mm-hmm. And it was just the weirdest thing, and then she snapped out of it, and I'm like, do do what? Don't tell who what. And she had no idea what I was talking about. And it's happened multiple times. And she always starts off with um, a deep breath, like, <gasps> mm-hmm. and then she'll mumble something, and then she'll um, start, you know, just either walking. Or if she's opening up a door, she'll continue to keep opening up the door, like trying to open, mm-hmm. turn the handle. And um, I even got it on videotape. Do you, do you think um, when, she's possessed, Lori? It sure seems like it, yeah. Because um, another example is we were eating um, chicken strips, and she was trying to get open her, her barbecue packet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking, and then I happened to notice that she was, you know, fidgeting. I looked over, and she was jamming her fingers into the barbecue sauce packet. And so I, I said, stop, stop doing that. I pulled away from her, and she started aggressively rubbing it into her legs. And then... Um, you know, she stepped out, and she's like, my God, what am I doing? Does that sound like possession to you, Nathaniel? At uh, the, the very least, a walk-in. I would uh, Two very uh, important things that I would ask you to monitor, uh, with her permission, of course. Uh, number one, and let's just... I'll cover all three and not just the two of them. Number one, um, I would uh, monitor her dream states. Uh, if she's having nightmares, is she meeting an entity in her dreams? Um, and in addition to that, scarifications, are there any weird marks on her body that you cannot explain or that she cannot explain? And uh, the third one is something that obviously, just pay attention to this. I, I had a case of a, of a 50-year-old woman who had called me and said that uh, the beings were manifesting to her and through her. And yet when she had a hysterectomy, they came back because they were monitoring her fertility. And when they realized that there was something wrong, they left her completely alone. So those three aspects, especially if she's younger, uh, this, is, this is not unique. This is, you know, this is something that is pervasive in the field and the research. Uh, but I would focus on those three areas. Tell us about the marks on bodies and things. What does that mean? Uh, it's one of the rather more terrifying aspects of the phenomenon. And it also implies that many of these beings we're dealing with have the pathologies of serial killers. Uh, Father Sinistario Amino was uh, one of the earliest demonologists to document scarifications, uh, not just on the skin, but under the skin to the surface, and even more so underneath the eyelids of their victims. He had one 
family that he was working with where um, one of the victims had passed away, but it wasn't because you know they were attacked. It was just a bad health or something. And uh, he went to do the autopsy, and upon the examination, he peeled back her eyelids, and the entity had carved its own symbolism underneath them. Uh, so, so whatever we're dealing with, it gets stranger by the second. It sure does. Let's go to Cornelius in Louisiana. It's his turn. Hey, Corny, go ahead. Yeah, George. Um, I want to tell Big Jim and the Big Apple what I do. I read the Lord's Prayer. I read Psalm 91, which is a prayer of protection. And today is the 2nd of August, so I read Proverbs 2 because there's 31 Proverbs, one for each day. So that's what Big Jim and the Big Apple can do, and he has a biblical name, James. Now, Mr. Nathan, mm-hmm. I want to tell you, you're right on top of things. You see where the alien agenda is about to be revealed in disclosure. So this is what I think is happening. I believe they're fallen angels. I'm like Dr. David Jacobs. He said, if you use the name of Jesus, they'll just disappear. So these fallen angels got with the daughters of men, and that's where the hybrids came in and everything. And by the way, they call me the God Guns and Gold Man, the Bible Bullets and Beans Man. And I'm trying to tell everybody to get ready. So I was just telling Tommy Danheiser, my phone, all of a sudden when I got on coast, it started drawing energy down like Satan wanted, didn't want me to get on. So we, I want to ask you, do you believe that we're in the end times and the mark of the beast is coming? Thank you, George, and God bless Coast to Coast AM. The mark of the beast, Nathaniel, <laughs> is it end times? Yeah, well, I think uh, the work of eschatology is uh, deeply... It's a deep subject. It's a whole other show. I mean, it's a fascinating subject nonetheless, but I do believe that uh, we're getting close to just some kind of unmasking, and you can see it with the, uh, the incoming case studies that many of my colleagues have, including myself. The phenomenon is ramping up for something, and uh, we don't know why. Why don't we know why? Well, again, if we're looking at the control mechanism, uh, especially with these experiencers, uh, it's not what they're wanting us to remember. It's what they're wanting us to forget. I mean, when we're getting down to entities that can literally step into our memories and wear them as masks, uh, then, then we're dealing with something that's so completely alien to us that the only working vocabulary we have is to, to construct something, okay, they're alien or they're demonic, uh, but whatever we're dealing with in and of itself is deeply manipulative. Um, if I could, Dr. Carter Turner had a case of a woman who saw a UFO, thought she had pulled out her, her binoculars, and then she remembers vividly looking at it through the binoculars, looking at it through the telescope. The problem, only problem is, George, she didn't own binoculars. Oh, really? Right. And, and, and matter of fact, the next day she woke up and looked, and her telescope never left the box it arrived in. So, so the phenomenon has the ability to mask itself, not just in our memories, but in our beliefs. And I'm getting passionate, so forgive me, everybody. But this is, this is a big deal for me, oh, because if it do. has that ability, uh, then, then how much of what we're even researching is true? Let's go to Emily in Indiana and get her in. Go ahead, Emily. Hi. Hi there. Um, I read this a while ago, so my question is for your guest. 
Do you think it is just a coincidence or maybe there is um, some kind of connection that the word COVID spelled backwards spelled DIVIC? I don't see it linguistically. Um, I just don't see it. Now, I, I had COVID. It was awful. So I want to make that clear. I lost 35 pounds. <laughs> I've since found it. Um, yeah, but no, I don't think there is a connection. Um, and I know that, and I've had that question proposed to me before. It's a very good question, you know, because if I didn't know, I, I would ask the same. But I, I myself have not found any linguistic connection. Since you've been doing this, Nate, for 20 years plus? Researching, yes, sir. <laughs> Where does this take things next? What's next for you? Well, what we're trying to do uh, is at least test the spirits. You know, okay, it's my dear Ed Edna. Is it really? Right? Or, or even some cases, the beings appear as Jesus. Okay, well, then let's test that. You know, are they, if that is Jesus, is it teaching what Jesus taught? Right? So that there has to be a way that we can test the spirits. In addition to that, uh, this whole role-playing aspect doesn't make sense to me. Um, if these beings have uh, complete and utter control over us, they can do whatever they want, like we're told they can, then why would they need to appear underneath a mask? Why would they need some sort, and I use this loosely, so don't indict me, people. <laughs> uh, why would they need some sort of consent to do what they're doing? How many books do you have out now? Two. The Skin That Crawls and A Moment Called Man? Right, right. And they're available where? Uh, there, well, one is on your website. You guys can find the link for the skin that crawls on there, and then the other one is on Amazon. All right, very good. Nate, we're going to take a quick break and come back with final questions for you on Coast to Coast, and then I'll tell you what's in store for tomorrow's program on Coast to Coast. And again, we're talking with Nathaniel Gillis, a religious demonologist and author of the books we just mentioned. He lived in a haunted house, spent 20 years researching what had happened to him, literally changed his life to what he is today. We'll be back in a moment. Those of you on hold, just hang right there. Don't touch your dial on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Nathaniel Gillis, the demonologist. We'll take final calls in just a moment here on Coast to Coast. So these demons, what do they want, Nathaniel? I think it's a combination of uh, our attributes. Uh, some researchers believe that they're after our soul. Um, but I, I think that uh, there is a, a preternatural interest they have in our soul. It's not just that uh, you know they're, they're using us to self-replicate their species, uh, but there is evidence uh, that demands our attention, and that includes them abducting the soul itself and running tests on it like we would do a body. And so I, I still, I think the jury's out on what they're truly after. I think what we're doing now is, is collecting data and uh, hopefully even just try to find a working vocabulary. But uh, I, think, I think personally, which I know that's what you're asking, uh, that they're, um, they're parasitic in nature. And uh, one of the entities that I met would actually fabricate fear in me and then feed off of it. Do they want our souls? I don't know. I am very aware of Nigel Kerner's hypothesis, and I myself have lectured on the idea of them soul hunting, and we have evidence of them taking the soul and actually threatening people. 
Uh, now, in, that's one of Dr. Carla Turner's books taken, and then you have, of course, the book Beyond UFOs, and uh, where these beings would actually uh, <laughs> create a near-death experience. And then when the soul leaves the body, uh, they would essentially take it, capture it. And uh, they, the one individual suffered a catastrophic accident. They took his soul and told him, you know, your doctors cannot fix you. If you if you want to stay alive, you're going to have to, to agree to do whatever we tell you to do. And so he agreed, and then they put him back into his body, and that was his experience. So uh, whatever they're doing, even if they're not taking the soul, their preternatural knowledge of the soul is uh, almost as disturbing to me. You know, they have such a knowledge base they're working off of, something that transcends our knowledge base most definitely. Um, and it is quite disturbing. Did the ancients seem to have a better handle on this than we do today? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, they were doing the same things, and I think that they did their best to document it. Uh, but if this is a phenomenon that evolves according to our awareness, then even like, specifically like by the time we get a working vocabulary, it could already be evolving into the next, next mask. Um, I'm reminded of uh, Sybil Eek when the Collins elite went to investigate her case studies, they asked her to channel, if she could channel, Aleister Crowley's contacts. Can you conjure them? And she said, I'll try. And so she did. And uh, one came through in the Collins Elite. They asked her, are you, these entities, are you extraterrestrial? And they laughed them to scorn and said, obviously we're not. That's just our newest mask. So back to the calls. Rollins with us in Louisiana. Welcome to the program. Hey, Rollins, go ahead. Hi, a great show tonight, guys. Um, Thank you. I'd like to ask if uh, could a dark entity or a spirit or just something dark attach itself to somebody who, say, is fighting depression or say they have a vitamin deficiency that makes them really tired and they just can't function all the time, and you see them change, could that, could that happen? Yeah, if it's a vitamin deficiency, of course. I mean, what we're dealing with here is uh, it's not just a malevolent presence. It's a malevolent presence that seeks to victimize the entity. And when, I'm, when I get questions, like people will email me asking questions like this, and I think they're very relevant and germane inquiries. Um, I would suggest that uh, if there is an attachment entity, it won't just be a secondary consciousness or an extra presence in the room. Uh, there will come a time when that entity wants to demand ownership or it no longer is satisfied thinking occasionally for you. It will want to possess permanently into what Malachi Martin hypothesizes, permanent possession. And so there, there are modus operandi that they, they operate off of that will give us insight. So it's not just an attachment. There's scarifications. There's nightmares. Uh, sometimes there's poetry even, language preferences that I would look for that would, that would help me understand, okay, is this just a vitamin C deficiency, right? Or is there something much darker going on? When you were a kid, what do you think they wanted from you, Nathaniel? I don't know. Uh, the entity that I, I encountered, I believe it was, and I say this loosely, uh, to me it felt like suicide. I mean, obviously the nightmare included that. Oh, uh, but whenever I would wake up from the nightmare, that being, it was almost like it was staring into my eyes and I just couldn't see it. It wanted you to commit suicide? I, I think so. I think that's the that's not not unique in that. I think a lot of these experiencers... 
are actually warriors that are awakening to this phenomenon, and the phenomenon doesn't want them to. It wants to, to take them and to hide from them. And Dr. Carla Turner hypothesized the fact that we, or the theory rather, that we may be uh, waking up to a new, evolution, a new evolutionary process to where we realize, okay, they are taking us. And so that may be a species-wide phenomenon that only some of us are experiencing at this particular time. Next up, we go to Ruth in Maryland. Welcome to the program. Hey, Ruth. Hi, George and Nathaniel. Thank you so much for taking my sure call. Thing. And I want to give Cornelius a shout-out. And um, it's a coincidence that you're on here tonight because just yesterday my neighbor had experienced something. He called me up there. Now, this man, he's an older man. He had a major stroke six months ago, and the woman that was staying with him actually left him on the floor three days before he even had any help. So oh, he's lucky to even be alive. I'm wondering if he even actually even died in maybe a walk-in like you were talking about. But mm-hmm. what happened was um, last last night he woke up and he heard growling and he told me about it, and I told him that it probably was an evil spirit because mm-hmm. I, I've had the same experience years ago happen to me when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I took him to the Christian store, and we, like, loaded up with holy water and oil and salt. She even gave us some special salt that was exercised. And I told him, too, what Cornelius said about calling out on the name of Jesus, and we blessed the room there had been... Um, he was standing in the other room, which the, there was a lot of negative energy in there. And um, anyway, what are your um, suggestions? I, and whatever is trying to get at him, I think it's also trying to attach itself to me and follow me, too. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my suggestion would be document anything and everything you can, um, just for not, if not for the research, for just for your own your own selves. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you're religious or not. It's none of my business, but I would employ religious amulets, see if that works. And if not, I would employ iron or wear an iron necklace of some sort. Um, see, again, this research is so new. In a, in a way, we are testing them because in my research, I've, I've concluded that if we can find what they have a fear of, then we can find what they have a faith in. And uh, that would be my suggestion to to employ religious amulets and to document anything and everything you can. Did you ever play with the Ouija board, Nathaniel? Oh, God, no. Good. Um, (laughs) No, I don't. Uh, I've had uh, possession cases where it started out with the Ouija board. Uh, One individual specifically uh, made a quote-unquote pact with the devil using a Ouija board and uh, led her through uh, addiction and through just, she did, just recently did a full circle back. Uh, but all of that started, see, and I, I'll tell people this too, it's not the fact that it's a Ouija board, it's, the, it's us. We are the mortal portal, but we have to be involved with the Ouija board for all of this to come to pass. But I do not recommend it. Let's go to Jim in Delaware now. Hey, Jim, thanks for holding. Go ahead. Hey, George, I'm pretty sure Nathaniel is a biblical name as well. But what it seems to me, Nathaniel, is that you're not fully relying on the God of the Bible who says, come now, let us reason together. And he he, he knows how much you, you, 
you can take from him where you figure out the rest, you know, the way we know in part. Well, did you answer that, Nate? Go ahead. Yeah, well, he wasn't talking to the entities. He was talking to us, uh, at least Yahweh was. I think it's very unique. And I'm going to throw this out there. I know I'm going to be crucified um, because it doesn't fit a lot of the blueprints we inherited from belief systems. Um, and it, it does fall in the face of at least the evangelical researchers I'm connected to and I love. So forgive me. Uh, but I will say this, guys. Uh, there was a case study I was reading from Beyond UFOs. Uh, where a lady had been uh, taken since her youth, and nothing was working. And so, so she went to religion. She said, okay, so she got a Bible. She accepted Jesus into her heart and everything. And uh, then one night, as always, she felt a secondary intelligence enter the room. Uh, the energy began to build, and then she pulls out the Bible, our Father who art in heaven, and all of a sudden they take her, and her eyes roll on the back of her head. Jeez. So that was particularly disturbing for me. I shut down all my research, shut down my social media, made a couple phone calls, and I left for a week uh, because, again, um, <laughs> it does seem that the phenomenon has given us rules that they do not even follow. I mean, let's look at these case studies, okay? Let's draw a circle around these entities, and they won't leave the circle. How many times in history have they done that? All the time. So... If they're not going to follow their own rules, what makes us think they're going to follow ours? Good point. Karen in California, take it away. Hi, Karen. Hi, thank you. Sure. Um, I'm having a serious problem for over four years now with uh, demons. And um, my life has just been turned upside down. They're not physically hurting me. Mm -hmm. uh, um, they are mentally um, tormenting you. a number on me. But I've had a car accident total my car i'm homeless um i mean you name it they they're just taking me down now mentally i'm staying strong i don't know why to be honest with you i don't know why i can um i just can i'm i've always already checked myself thinking that i'm going crazy i i am crazy whatever the, no i know that's not the case mm -hmm. but they're with me 24 7 for over four years how do you think they got you well, I don't know. I was homeless in a park, living in my car, and they appeared one night, and they haven't left. Now, they appear to be human. They also have shown me, they show me what they want me to see. Let's put it that way. I can see them, um, which is another thing I really don't like. I don't want to see them, but they, but I can. What got um, you homeless, Karen? I'm curious. Um, I came to help my son, and he was having some some financial problems, and I thought I could help him. So that he was homeless, I went homeless with him, basically. So um, that's why I was homeless. And now I'm back homeless because nothing seems to work in my life since they have entered my life. Do you, re I, do you remember the episode where it first happened? Yes. I know the park. I know approximately the time. Um, I was sitting in my car. They were in another car in back of me. They appeared human and with a mom, young mother, father, and a baby. And it just, I don't know. But before I knew it, you know, they were getting into my car. It was, they were, they came in, then they became a group. The group has changed over time. Um, most well, of them are, are you, younger. Are you are. saying they were the demons or they brought them? No, they are demons. 
they are the demon. Physical they, demons. They appeared, they appeared nice at first, and they have not turned into beasts. But... Nathaniel, we only have about a minute and a half left. Mm-hmm. But can they physically take over human oh. bodies and do what she just said? Oh, 100%. Um, I would. I mean, even if we take Malachi Martin's case study, his uh, testimony was that he was in his study, and uh, he was on a stool or stairs picking out a book when a shadow figure ran by and kicked the stairs from underneath him, and he hit his. How does she get rid of these things? Um, again, I, I I would employ religious amulets, um, and then I would employ iron. But again, if we're looking at something that's highly deceptive, we have to test them. And I think we're in the testing process. And even then, are these rules that they've given us that we think they'll follow? And then, and then truthfully, they just move beyond. That's what we're, we're looking for. Uh, but I will tell you that, that these beings are also attracted to trauma. I've, uh, I've known some of them to actually create trauma and abuse in someone's life and use that as a portal. The fact that she's homeless, does that have anything to do with the attacks? I think, I mean, in a way, I would uh, look for trauma, early trauma in childhood, where these beings would, it's almost like a generational spirit, where it will follow the bloodline, just like it does at abduction, and then you'll see trauma that's outlived, not just within family members, but it's generational. Nate, thank you for being on the program. We really appreciate everything you've done over the years and uh, keep in touch with us. Nathaniel Gillis, the books, The Skin That Crawls, A Moment Called Man. For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasur, Stephanie Smith, Chris Boros, Tim Benal, George Knapp, and Ian Punted. I'm George Norrie. Somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM, we'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.